Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Hey, you Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. So, I've taken, there's sort of two research tacks that I've had over the years. One of them is that spatial stuff I was just talking about. And another one is this idea of, well, it's spatial as well, and it's this idea of what do animals remember, you know, what's the content of their memory? That'd be more interesting than how long can they remember something. And here's, this is an old talk that I gave, it's not going to do that, that I gave a long time ago. Oh, don't you dare. A long time ago. Okay. That seems to work for some reason. Uh, at that same conference, and as you can see here, this is back when I was in Newfoundland, um, and this is work I did on my sissies. Um, and there's, that's the student who did it with me, Jessica Humber. Um, there she is. And in fact, the nice, there's a pine system in the bottom left corner. By the way, that's in June in Newfoundland. And that should tell you something about Newfoundland. Um, and in fact, when you're in a small town like Cornerbrook, when someone gets a summer insert, there's actually a story about them in the local paper. Um, let's do that, see if that helps or anything. So pine systems, they're finches. They breed in North America. Um, and they, they move ahead too quickly, and they piss me off. All right. See, people that are just listening to this don't realize the slides are, I'm not angry at Pine Siskins. The slides are advancing automatically and it's bugging me. You can stop that through. Yeah, how? How do you stop that? Show me how. I'd love to know. On, a, on, on the Mac version of PowerPoint. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but if the word program is anything, it should still be something. No, it should be. It should, yeah, it should, you, would, you would imagine, wouldn't you? Okay. Animations. Animations, that's right. Okay. Let's explain this like that. Make it bigger. This is exciting content, by the way. I'm glad you're all learning something from this. Yeah. In your teams. Yeah. Transitions. Maybe. <laughs> you will be awarded the Order of Lenin for this comrade. <laughs> We sail to victory. You got the reference. I've read October. That's great. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. So, Pine Siskins, here we go. I will edit that up, but I am not. I am going to. Denny Larrabee gave me. did help, and I credit to her. The whole internet knows. You're going to be really famous now. Okay. I'll mention the blog. Okay, so Pine Siskins and that so you can see them up here. And again, this is in late, this is early June in Pasadena, Newfoundland. Pasadena, a town of Newfoundland that was founded uh, by a woman from Pasadena. It was literally founded by a woman from Pasadena, California, the little old lady from Pasadena, which is an old song by the Beach Boys. Um, the reason we studied these, frankly, is because they were all over the place. Okay? Um, one of the interesting things about them is that they pretty much, they do migrate, but they don't migrate very far, except for about every seven to ten years, they have these huge sort of migratory invasions, and they go really far south, all the way perhaps to Mexico. So, but usually they don't. They usually go to like, far as say Maryland, 
if you know the states at all. So they, they go right around where Washington, D.C. is. They don't usually go that But sometimes they go really far south, and that's an interesting thing. There's a, there's a notion in the literature known as a firmness that when food becomes really sparse, they go much further south, and that's why they conduct these migratory invasions. So they made them an idea, like, they were an ideal uh, subject for a field study. Uh, it was interesting with Jessica Goddard, Summer Answer. There were two people at that university that had answers. So again, small like here. It was me and a guy in astronomy. And it was like, who do you want to work with? And she said, I'm a biologist. I'll go with that guy. You know, and I gave her a big pile of stuff. And then she came up with this idea. Her and I this idea, which was pretty cool. So, yeah, everything's fine. Um, we decided to test, first of all, if they could be trained to go to different theaters and have some it again. See, so this isn't your fault. But I think it's kind of your fault, really, Danny. Um, oh, you know what? You might have to do it to each For all slides. slides. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, I, I think I figured out that I'll just go advance and go back in stays. But now we know that, and I'll fix it. Um, we wanted to know if they could go, they could learn the different amounts of food in each feeder. And you can see we got different colored feeders here. Green, red, and yellow feeders. And we put the feed in there, the seeds, in a 3 to 1 ratio. It was like three cups of seed, two cups of seed, one cup of seed. Okay, so I'm going to do that and then go back. Good. And as you can see here, these are blocks of observation sessions. Um, the way this worked was she would observe for an hour a day in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, sitting literally in her backyard watching these things, because that's what the field site of was. And every 30 seconds, she would switch randomly, looking at different feeders, and would count the number of birds there. Okay? And as you can see pretty quickly, in fact, right away, they had learned to go in a 3 to 2 to 1 ratio. So that's what you would expect. Um, so they definitely distributed their visits that way. This could have been due to the fact that they could see how much seed was there. And of course, once you've emptied the woman that has all the smallest amount of seed, you don't go to it anymore, which would explain the 3 to 2 to 1. Uh, or they could have just emptied it completely and then moved on to the next one, and that would also explain the distribution. So what we did next is we covered the walls okay, with, with brown paper. So they couldn't see how much food was in there. And they still did it in a 3 to 2 to 1 ratio. <coughs> the interesting thing that happens here is how are they remembering? Are they remembering it by the color, or are they remembering it by where the feeders were? Okay. So what we did is we started on test days, she would run a test session where there would be empty feeders, and she would swap them around, just like I the stuff I did with the chickadees, and see where they were going. Okay, so I'm going to go there, there, there. And then you can see what happened here this is a control, green, red, yellow. This is, but there's no seed there, okay? Then we start swapping them around. You can see here, we've swapped green with yellow. So green still are sort of yellow and red have been swapped around. We can see here that red and green have been swapped around. Here, it's what? Uh, we've swapped around the red, the yellow, and the green, yeah, except. So you see that most of the time, they follow the spatial location. Because it's they're going left, right, 
our left, middle, right. Except down here, when we take the green one, which was the most profitable feeder, the one that had the most food in it, when we moved it all the way over to the other side, they respond equally in each. This is interesting because you might think, well, I'm not, we're not controlling the angle they come in at. I mean, so it isn't necessarily left always to the birds. It could, be, it could have been on the right. In fact, it probably was half the time on the right and half the time on the left for each bird. So what this is saying is that it's not their angle of viewing that matters. That the way they were representing this was how it was, in fact, uh, where it was an actual absolute space. Where it was not, like, say, it's, oh, it's on my right or on my left. It's, it's on to the left of Jess, where Jessica sits, that kind of thing. Or to the right. So when we move them all the way over here, they stop paying attention to the spatial location or the color. They just respond equally to each. So what's this mean? Um, they res- as I said here, they, they respond based on space, sort of. There's no evidence they're paying attention to color. They're, well, they're paying attention to space first, but they notice what colored feeder is in what spatial position. That's the, the, what I would say. If the most profitable feeder is not in the exact opposite place where it should be, they respond based on space. If it is in the opposite position, they seem to treat the array as it's a brand new array, and they know nothing about it. So once, it, once the really good one's in a really bad place, it's like, no, no, it can't be. So they're paying attention to both. They're remembering both the spatial position and the color. Does that make sense? So this is kind of cool because we did this out in the field rather than doing this in a lab. Questions about that? Yeah, please. Can you just repeat Which part? Well, what they're paying attention to, what they're remembering is what colored feeder goes in what spatial position? Right? Because okay. you can take a look, if you think back, as long as the green one was on the left or in the middle, they responded three to two to one. But as soon as you put the green one in the worst possible place it could be, in other words, in the bad place where the yellow one normally lives where there's no food, or much less food, they treat it like it's a brand new array of feeders. They, they go completely evenly. Right? So, they're remembering spatial locations and colors together. Make sense? Yeah. Good. Other questions about that? Okay. And just like the last talk, you saw me practice, I was thank people, so I'll thank the people this time. And that's my kids, you might recognize Maddie a long time ago. And there's John a long time ago, back before he became a behemoth. <laughs> Uh, there's one of my old students, Craig, uh, who's a school teacher now, but he used to help run my lab, uh, playing in a band he was in called the Evelyn Room. They were really good, actually. He still plays in bands all the time, all around Cornerbrook. If you're ever in Cornerbrook, go to a bar and you'll see this guy playing drums, because he's the drummer in Cornerbrook. Uh, that's Eric Legg on the right, uh, actually sitting by on the behavior class back in Newfoundland, and Eric is almost done his PhD at the University of Alberta in animal cognition, uh, and he's working with Marcia Spetsch. And that's a typical literary corner book. See the size of that snowbank? That's not a perspective thing. You can stand on top of that and look into our second story windows. 
first time I showed one of those at a conference, someone said, did you Photoshop that? I said, no, I live in Newfoundland to Photoshop anything. They don't even, Photoshop hasn't even arrived there yet. <laughs> when you land at the Deer Lake Airport, they say, set your watches back 30 years. <laughs> little junk. <laughs> all right. So basically, what I'm trying to show you with all this stuff, well, first of all, I'm trying to feed my own pretentious ego, talking about my own work, but also showing you that you can... Remember, you know, we talked a little bit about memory in infants and how with little babies, you have to... You're looking at... Um, <clears throat> a non-verbal animal. Well, you're doing the same thing here, obviously. I can't ask, we couldn't ask the pine siskins or the chickadees, what are you remembering when you go to those feeders? So we had to actually design clever experiments. Um, in general, in animal memory, there are certain, um, I have a hole in my pants and my, my trusty cough drops have fallen into my pants, so I'm just gonna do that, there we go. Ha! It's like magic. It's like, I'm, it's like Penn and Teller up here, isn't it? You ever seen this one? Huh? So, we talk generally in animal memory about working in reference memory. Again, a two-store model. Just like we talk about all the human stuff, we very often talk about two-store models. We talk about a two-store model here. Working memory is the memory needed to solve one trial of a task. <coughs> and reference memory are the rules of the game. So, how do I solve any trial? Okay, and I'll make this, this, was, this, this distinction, by the way, was uh, uh, first proposed by Honig, and Honig is Canadian, or was, for his dad now, in Dalhousie. So, when I go through some examples, I'll talk about what the working memory component is and the reference memory component, okay? Um, a classic kind of paradigm here is one called delayed matching to sample. And those of you guys from learning know about this. Um, chalk? Okay. So in delayed matching, the, the name is actually completely describes what happens. It's like this. You have a sample. This is, this is a key light that a pigeon can peck. Okay? And it's red. It doesn't, it's not always red. This is an example. The bird pecks at the sample a few times and it, it goes black. It goes dark. Remember when pigeons are, maybe you remember, you haven't told you this. When pigeons are in these kind of experiments, everything else in the, in the opera box is dark. All they see is the red light. So they peck at that, it goes out. Then there's a retention interval, just you can call that the study phase if you wanted to. Then there's a retention interval, then they're given a choice between two keys, a red key and a green key. They are to match to sample. So they have to pick the red one. If they pick the red one, they get food. If they pick the green one, they get the inner trial in it. In other words, they just go from to the next trial. They don't get food. Okay? And the pigeons are a little hungry, so they're motivated to answer correctly. You see why it's called delayed matching to sample? Okay. Doesn't that go back to um, 
when we were talking about Camel, and he was saying that it's not just motivational reasons for. Uh, How do you mean the fact that they're motivated to, 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 to perform? To pick the, yeah. Well, so I mean, you got to pick. They're hungry. They want food, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to get them motivated to a point. Though a lot of people now keep their pitches at like ninety-five percent of their free feeding weight. They're just a tiny bit hungry, and there are data out there suggesting yeah, you don't even have to keep your pigeons hungry. They'll just do this for food. A little tiny bit of food. Right. Yep. You usually use food different than the food that they get in their cage. It's tastier stuff, right? You know, so they'll work for food, basically. You've got to get them to work somehow, and it's easier to get them to work when they're a little hungry. Yep. Um, now, if you want to talk about the working versus reference memory parts of this, the working memory part, let's do that first because it's easiest, is what color was the sample? That's what the animal has to remember, because on any given trial, it's going to be a different color. What color was the sample? The reference memory part of this, how do you solve a problem like Maria? No, no. How do you solve any trial of this task? So what's the rule that the animal has to remember? And see if someone who wasn't in learning last term can give you the answer to this. What rule allows you to solve any trial of this task? Any ideas? What about someone who took learning? Match the sample. Match the sample. Yeah. yeah. Just match the sample. <coughs> so what do I do here? Oh, I have to match the sample. That's the reference memory. That's the rules of the game. That's any, any trial I have to match. Now, what do I have to do on this given trial? I have to remember what color it was. We can also do delayed non-matching the sample. You can probably guess what this is. We just feed them when they peck the green one, not the red one. And again, remember, the red and the green, they change around. They change spatial position. Uh, half the time the sample's green, half the time it's red. If there's anybody in the world of psychology that is obsessed with control, statistical and experimental control, it is people that study animal cognition because we don't have the luxury of asking people, oh, did that distractor test work? We, we don't have that luck. We can ask them. They just look at you like this. So, which is not unlike when you, those of you guys, you know, testing undergraduates. Um, so, comedy, experimental comedy there. There actually can be qualitative, when we talk about qualitative versus quantitative differences, there actually can be differences here too. Think about this. Here's another possible, there's another possible, nice one here. The nice uh, rule, match to sample. Here's another possible rule. If red, peck red. If, if green, peck green. Two rules. So that could be two different rules, reference memory rules, rather than just one reference memory rule, which is match to sample. Both would work, by the way. How would we test, how would we test if what reference memory rule they were using? Don't, don't you, you know, you were in the learning last term. Repeat the question, please. Yeah. So the two rules are match the sample, or if red, pack red, if green, pack green. Both of those would work. We don't know which one they're using. We can't ask them. But we can design a clever experiment that could do it. So what could we do for an experiment that would find out if they were using 
if red pack red, if green pack green, or match to sample. <coughs> this is a very subtle question, so it's okay if you don't get it. Don't worry about it. Do you remember what it was then? I think it's, is it, just try them again with the same last presentation of rules that you had already set them up? Because they, don't they switch their resources? Yeah, we'll talk about that, but that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a different kind of angle. Think about this. If they're remembering if red, peck, red, and if green, peck, green, why don't we just change colors to red, to yellow, and blue? Because if we should switch colors over to yellow and blue, and they're remembering if red peck red, if green peck green, they're going to look at that and go, if blue do what? <laughs> but if they're remembering match to sample, they'll go, oh, blue, that's weird, but match to sample, I pecked the blue one. And that's what Macintosh Wilson and Bokes did. So while the other day I was talking about looking at qualitative differences, and I said, I, frankly, yeah, that was my idea, but I got the idea from Macintosh Wilson and Bokes, um, always standing on the shoulders of giants, as the scientists do. So, that's exactly what they did. They compared, by the way, pigeons and jackdaws, which are a kind of bird in, 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 the, in the UK. And they're known to be, they're thought to be pretty bright. So when you switched over from using red and green samples to blue and yellow, the jackdaws don't really miss a beat. They're like, oh, okay. Match the sample. They're still blue, yellow, no problem. The pigeons are like, I don't know what to do. I now have to learn a whole new thing. Is it a blue peck yellow? I don't know. They all talk. Pigeons think like comic book guy talks. And worst experiment ever. <laughs> and so what the pigeons did, they would be totally retrained. Because their rule was if, if blue peck blue, if yellow peck yellow, if red peck red, if green peck green, the jackdaws were like, well, we just matched the sample. It should be pretty simple. <laughs> They're British birds again, so that's how they talk. Very cool experiment. And that's, in fact, totally what gave me the idea with all the stuff with the chickens. Um, Sarah Shutterworth, my PhD advisor, she gave me this paper and said, you should read this. And I said, oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. I see what you did there, smart lady. Both of these, by the way, are subject to proactive, both of non-matching and matching are subject to proactive and retroactive interference. How are we going to test that? Well, instead of using the same stimuli over and over again, we could use, now this takes a lot longer for animals to learn, pigeons, because they have to learn match to sample, but we use trial unique stimuli. So every single stimulus is different. Every single sample is different. We use pictures. It takes a long time for pigeons to learn this because what pigeons want to do is I want to memorize this. I want to memorize, I've seen that with if red, pack red, if green, pack green. And it's hard to teach them, but you have to explicitly show them by using different stimuli in every single trial. So it'll be photo, photographs of people and places and things. And eventually they do learn this. And when they learn this, they're actually better at it if you keep using unique stimuli. If you use a stimulus they've seen before, they don't do very well. Just like when you go looking for your car keys and you say, oh, I know where they are, they're beside the TV. And you go look, no, no, that was yesterday. That's proactive interference, right? Oh, I know where they are, they're over here by the fridge. No, that was two days ago. That's exactly what happens to the pigeons when you start repeating the stimuli, when you've trained them to use trial unique stimuli. 
So you actually get proactive, proactive experience, just like you get in human memory. As much as I am into the idea of there being differences between species, my career is based on that, I can also tell you that the mechanisms that by how memory works, they're going to be the same. Why would they be different in every species? That's crazy. So I'm going to talk about something neat here, first of all. We can use something called symbolic magic. This is kind of weird. But if I show, so this is how symbolic magic works. You can still use red and green samples, but then the comparison stimuli are say, a triangle and a square. If red, peck triangle. If green, peck square. So they aren't really matching per se. It's called symbolic matching. So if red, peck triangle, so if we do that, they get food. If they get it. That, you just go right to the ITL. You're trying to This is a way to find out how they're remembering. Because think about this task. The reference memory part's easy. Right? If red, peck triangle. If green, peck square. That is obvious. But what are they doing for the working memory part? There's two ways to solve this. It was red, it was red, it was red, it was red. Or peck a triangle, peck a triangle, peck a triangle, peck a triangle. But how do we know which is which? See, that's a pretty subtle question, right? Because there's two ways to do the working memory part. It's do I remember the sample or do I remember that I have to peck a different symbol? Yeah, you might think that's impossible to get at. And it sounds like it is. But Herb Reutblatt, in his PhD thesis, Herb, by the way, who I'll probably see next week, who's at the University of Hawaii and studies dolphins, and just looks at us all, all the time, going, Yeah, it's nicer in Florida, it's nicer where I live. And we all say, Go to hell, Herb. Um, he did symbolic, this is so clever, it's just disturbing. <laughs> symbolic matching, and I'll, I'll draw this out, it's a very cool experiment. Okay, if there's a red sample, you get a horizontal line. In other words, if you get a red sample, you're supposed to pack a horizontal line. Okay, so you get symbolic matching. <coughs> if there's an orange sample, you get a vertical, you're supposed to pack the vertical line. Horizontal, vertical. If there's a blue sample, you can get back an almost vertical line, so it's on an angle like that. <coughs> what we don't look, what we look at here is not the pattern of correct answers. We look at the that the pigeons make, it's the pattern of mistakes they make. So if they make mistakes when the choices are between one and two, so if they get if they get a red sample, and then their choices are horizontal and vertical. Now remember, they're supposed to be that horizontal. They must be encoding retrospectively. In other words, thinking back to what color the sample was. Why? Because it's easy to confuse red and orange, but it's hard to confuse 
horizontal and vertical. Can you say that again? It's, easy, it's, harder, it's easier to confuse red and orange than it is to confuse horizontal and vertical. So that means they're doing it retrospectively and thinking back what color was it. Because if they make mistakes here, how could it be that it's these two that's the problem? Because if they're doing it prospectively, looking forward, they'd be thinking, uh, let's see, red is horizontal. Horizontal, horizontal, horizontal. And then it comes up horizontal and vertical. You go, oh, gee, which one do you look like pick? Well, it's horizontal is a lot different than vertical. On the other hand, if the if they do, the choices are two and three. So two is an orange sample. And then retention interval. And then a choice between vertical and almost vertical. Now, vertical is orange. Almost vertical is blue. If they're confusing those, they must be doing it prospectively because this is really similar to that. But blue and orange are really different. So they must be looking forward in their memory, prospectively. What answer am I going to give, not what was the question? Do you see the brilliance of this? Isn't that clever as hell? Like, it really is neat. I mean, Herb's a smart guy. We, he may be lucky to have a job where he lives in Hawaii and works with dolphins. Yeah, I don't think he even comes anymore. It's like, I'm not going to Florida. I live in Hawaii. He's, he's done some great stuff over here. It's just amazing. And dolphins are really smart, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they, we always see stuff at the conference. We talk about dolphins, a lot of guys from Herb's lab. But also, um, there are people that work uh, in, 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 in Florida that work with marine mammals because they're a mammal. <coughs> So they, they set up a great big sort of aquarium kind of situation. They get a few dolphins. They do national samples. Um, the difference is the reward is a little bit of great. It's a, it's a, it's a, you throw a fish to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they, they're, they're pretty impressive. Yeah, they're pretty impressive animals. And they're mammals, you know, so you've got a kindred spirit thing going on with them. But you mock them because they're fish-like. You know, you look at them and you say, you know, I'm a mammal. I can walk around. You're a loser mammal. And then you have a swimming race and they win, but then you say, you know, if I wanted to, I could eat you. Nobody eats dolphins. What am I saying? But you could. You could. You could also be a person. That's There he is. <laughs> um, this is super clever. Now the question is, what do they do? Well, what they do, in fact, oh, I don't have the slide about what they do. What they do is. Early on, uh, when I should say early on, when the retention interval is short, they recode retrospectively. They think back to what color was the sample. When the retention interval gets longer, they switch over to what line do I have to pack? That makes a lot of sense, right? Because it starts to get harder to remember old stuff as retention intervals increase, like for anybody, no matter who species is. So stop worrying about that. Start thinking, literally thinking, by the way, what line do I catch? So they switch over. They, they, they're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's dynamic processing. They, they, they go from one strategy to another. 
they use one, go from one reference memory rule over to another. And that's really, really, or sorry, work memory rules. And those are really, really, really cool. All right. So other cool things that people have used over the years. Uh, Owen Samuelson invented the eight-arm radio maze. This probably ended up having more uh, articles published about it than anything except for, say, matching the sample. It's just a maze that has a central platform and eight arms radiating out from the center like the spokes of a wheel. Now, the rat's task is to visit, at the end of the arm's a bit of food. The rat's task is to visit the arms and not make any, not make any revisits. Well, no, that's, you have to know the, the working memory part, so the reference memory part to do the working memory. Right. Because right? you have to know, uh, you have to know that red is horizontal. So you have to know that. But then you go, do I pack red? Do I, do I think back, it's going to be, it was red? Or do I think forward, it's going to be vertical? Or horizontal, sorry. Sorry. No, no So the rat's task in these kind of experiments is to visit the arms of the maze and not make any repeat visits. So the working the reference memory part is there's food at the end of arms that I have to go to. The reference memory part is so that's the reference memory part. The working memory part is where have I been today? And by the way, they switch from where have I been to where should I go halfway through. They expect, yes, which from retrospective prospective halfway through. Right around four choices. And you might say, well, I know how I'd solve this. I'd start at the top and go, they don't. They do it in an all haphazard fashion, and you can't model it. I mean, people try it, but they get, after about five times doing this, they're getting seven out of eight correct. They're very good at it. And this has been used extensively. Um, oh, no, that's, that's obviously that's from my class. How are they doing this? Well, Suzuki et al., not David Suzuki, a different Suzuki. Not motorcycle Suzuki, a different Suzuki. What, they, what Suzuki et al. did, which was very cool, is they had chalk. This is Canadian, by the way, it's a McMaster. Um, is they put different, like, cues at the end of each arm. I'm running out of shapes. So, at the end of each arm, they put different shapes. Okay? Because you might think, how are they doing this? Well, they're, they're clearly remembering it spatially. They know where they're going with it. Are they remembering just the arm itself or the arm in relation to all the other arms? Wow. That's another good question. Well, what you do is halfway through, you get it, maybe visit, make four visits, and you stop them. You have a big tube in the middle on the platform, they get back to the central platform, you lower it. And then you move the shapes around. 
There's two ways you can move them. You can rotate all of them, and the relationship stays together of each shape to each other shape. Or just randomly mix them up. If you randomly mix them up, they're screwed. They don't know what's going on. If you move them over like 90 degrees, they now visit the ones, they visit the arms that they think they've been down, or sorry, that they think they have left to do, but based totally on what those cues say. But if you just switch them randomly around, they just fall apart. So what they're paying attention to is the relationship of each cue to each other cue. It's a map-like representation. It's a map-like representation. Relationship to what? For, oh, for of each cue to each other cue and to each arm. Like a map. If I give you a map and yeah, instead of a map. If I told you to go upstairs to my office, you would just go up, wouldn't be a problem. If I moved all the uh, sides, it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect you in the least, right? Because you're remembering the cues where everything is. You're not paying attention to where one little thing is with something else. However, if I took the whole building, if I was able to do this, and moved it, spun it all the way around, you'd still find my office. However, if I took all the offices and just put them all in different places, this is going to be a very weird analogy. I don't know how I'm doing this experiment. I need a really big grant, but I'm moving yeah. all the offices. I'm taking, you know, suddenly Brandon and all that, and that. I put them on the roof of this building. They're just their offices. And I've taken, uh, I don't know, put Cheryl's office right there. You know, moving it, there you go. I don't know where anybody is. Even though it's Cheryl in her office, you go, okay, this is. That's what the rats did. You move everything around, they're like, I, yeah, I'm sorry. This is a whole new world to me. But if I move the whole building over 10 miles, 10 miles, yeah, the hell, 10 miles. We're going to make it 10 miles north. We're going to put a past eight line. You go, well, it's weird, but I know where it really is. Right? And that's basically what happened here. They're paying attention to it. It's a map-like representation. That's Suzuki Edo. Um, rats actually chunk. Remember we talked about chunky? Rats do. Hey, study chunking in rats. Well, you get a 12 arm radio maze, not eight, but 12. Yep. And you got three of the arms have cheese in it because rats like cheese. You know they like eating more than cheese? Chocolate chips. So three of the arms have chocolate chips. Three of the arms have pellets. Little food pellets that, you know, they get you through the day, but they aren't very tasty. And three of the arms are empty. Different for a jamble, by the way. <laughs> the rats are running. They learn this thing pretty easily. They all go the same way. Chocolate arms, cheese arms, food pellet arms. I'm not going down those arms. That's what they all do. Well, why don't we swap the food pellets and the chocolate and the cheese in the empty and see what the rats do? Well, first they go down what they thought were the chocolate arms, and they find out that they're something else. And they're screwed. They finish the task that day. You know what happens the next day? They're just fine. They just switch over, because they've learned, oh, these arms go together, these arms go together, these arms go together, and these ones go together. They aren't remembering. I mean, they also do it in that order, like within each chunk. 
But what happens if you just move them all over the place? This cheese with this chocolate, this and this empty arm becomes a noise pellet arm, this pellet arm becomes a cheese arm. They have no idea. They're screwed. They get in there, they're like, I can't, I can't even remember how to do this anymore. It's like if you go to England and someone gives you a phone number. Because they got two, you know, our phone numbers is 334, right? Right? 705-949-2301. There you go. Easy. You go to the UK, it's like a five and a six or something. It's in Oxford, and somebody said their phone number is like 08625. And I went, no, that can't be a phone number. They don't have that many numbers in the first bit. Guys would drive by with their vans, you know, Nigel's plumbing, and then the, the, the phone number was all the way around the truck. <laughs> but they have no problem remembering them over there, because they've learned how to cheat. Mm -hmm. Same thing with these rats. You move the art all over the place, they're screwed. They don't know how to do this task anymore. So they chunk. Rats, uh, pigeons rather, forget when you tell them to forget. When you tell the pig, now, this is a neat thing we can do with humans, directly forget it. I give you a list of words, and now and then I just say, forget. Right after the word, or I say, remember. And you actually, and for the long, for 20 or 30 trials, everything's working out fine, then I lie to you. I say, forget, and then I test you on that word, and you're horrible at it. You can't remember it. You do the same thing with pigeons. You give them a signal, not going not gonna to test you on this one. So you go, red. And then you see a triangle, which just means don't worry about it. You're going to get food anyway. They don't even remember. Then sometimes you go triangle, you go, ha, 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 red, green, which one? Which one? And pigeon doesn't do so well. Direct and forget. That's pretty nifty. They even show meta memory. This is the ability that you have or anybody has to know what they know. To know what you know. So, Inman and Shuttleworth did this experiment. It's a pretty, it's actually, it's, it's, it's deceptively simple. So, they're trained up that, with, you know, red and red and green. Just like matching the sample. These are pigeons. And then, they're given a choice. They got red, and then, uh, I think it's, it might be triangle and circle. I can't remember what it is. And if it's triangle, you get a memory test. If it's circle, you get some food, but not as much as you do if you get this right. So the bird has a choice. Do I pick the, the triangle to get, to take the chance to get a memory test? Or do I just take the safe key and say, yeah, I'll just take the safe one. I'm not sure about this. Yeah, and they learn that. And you lie to them. They pick the safe key and give a memory test anyway. Guess what? They suck at those. Why? Well, it's obvious, seems to me, they've chosen to have memory tests where they know the answer. When they don't know the answer, they choose the safe key. The cool thing is, if you make the retention interval longer and longer, and as we know, longer retention interval, harder to remember something, the longer you make the retention interval, the more likely they are to pick the safe key. Because they're forgetting stuff. It's pretty neat. They know what's in their own memory. Just like you do. 
Um, one of the things that I've looked at is I've actually found priming in pigeons. That year's wrong, 2008. Um, that's Keynes. That's that guy with the drummer. That's me and him. Um, we found that, and I'm not going to go into how I did this because this is an exceedingly complicated experiment. If you want to read it, it's, you know how we post all our articles outside the psychology department? It's up there. It's called Picture Fragment Completion Priming in the Pigeon. You want to read it, you go read it. It's hard. It's, a, I think, exceedingly clever, but it's also, I thought it was the pinnacle of my awesomeness, and then it's been cited seven times, so clearly it isn't. <laughs> but I found something akin to the same kind of idea as, of, of word fragment completion in pigeons. I did picture fragment completion. And it helped them identify pictures if they'd seen the pictures before, but the pictures were now fragmented, locked out a little bit. So while there are amazing differences between species and cognitive abilities in, in memory, there are amazing similarities between species. And we shouldn't be surprised if these similarities be there, because those evolutionarily makes a great deal of sense that the mechanisms work the same way no matter what the species is. It's more a matter of how they remember things, and perhaps sometimes, and then we talked about uh, multiple memory systems, new systems, new modules will evolve when new uh, problems have to be solved. Right. Questions about this animal memory stuff? Really wish you'd let us in. I think I speak for all of us when I say I understand. Why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand But here's an FYI You're all gonna die screaming All we wanna do is eat your brains We're not unreasonable I mean no one's gonna eat your eyes If you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. I don't want to nitpick, Tom, but is this really your plan? Spend your whole life locked inside a mall. Maybe that's okay for now, but someday you'll be out of You'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough You never had the head for all that bigger picture stuff But Tom, that's what I do And I plan on eating you slowly I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we wanna do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. You open up the door. We'll all come inside and eat your brains. I'd like to help you, Tom, in any way I 
is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right, giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.